I've exterminated things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion because I exterminated them. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate right before I exterminated them. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears that have been exterminated. Time to die. I don't know why he saved my life. Maybe in those last moments he loved life more than... Exterminate! Exterminate! Tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial Tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ, and with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ, as ever, I am absolutely delighted to be here. But wait, Russ, am I seeing double, or maybe even triple? Uh, are you? Well, maybe. I have been hitting the dodgy homebrew cider a little bit hard lately, I've got to admit. But no, if you're I, referring I, to our two mysterious guests... Uh, they are super mysterious. Not one guest, two oh, guests. What? You can't even get that kind of value. What? I know. I'm so glad we're not paying them. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps we should probably tell the listeners who the guests are. Should, that might be relevant. We, oh. <laughs> okay, then. So, uh, our, our two guests uh, today are uh, Gion Shim, who is running a Kickstarter for uh, a role-playing game called Wait For Me, which we will get into in much, much detail later, along with her co-writer, Kevin Culp. Wait, you're not paying us? <laughs> Sorry, mate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yet, yeah. yet again, Kevin doesn't read small print. No, you're oh. paying us. <laughs> yeah, you work, work in the RPG industry, Kevin. Nobody pays them. We know how this works. <laughs> how are you guys? I'm, uh, well, I'm great. Thank you very much. And thanks so much for hosting us. I know it's I know it's early there, especially for you, Gion, because you're uh, you're in California, I believe. Yeah, it is uh, six sixteen in the morning here. Yeah, Ouch. but it is well, wonderful okay. to be here. Um, and thank you so much again. Should we do some RPG news? Uh, I suppose we could, couldn't we? Okay. Yes, let's. Do we have okay. any RPG news? We do have some RPG news. Yeah. Actually, let's start with the Green Knight. Oh, uh, is that is that strictly RPG news? Yes. Yes, oh, of course it is, yes. Uh, so, um, do you remember when Wendy's did a promotional RPG? It was like, last year, was it? I last say. year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That just seems like about 10 of your regular years ago. So, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Time <laughs> is just weird now. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, but the movie company producing the upcoming Arthurian movie, The Green Knight, uh, it's a movie starring, um, Dev Patel as, uh, Sir Gawain. Um, they have, they are releasing a RPG, an official RPG, like the movie company itself is releasing an RPG to promote it in the same kind of vein that Wendy's did last year. Mm. Yeah. Do we know who wrote it? I do not. There's actually very, very little information. So uh, there's a product page up uh, <laughs> and you can buy it for $35. It ships in August. So it's a pre-order. Right. And it's a it's a, a boxed set. Uh, very much, it looks very much like those um, old school D and D box sets. And they've even made the box look a bit weathered. Oh, nice! With with some with some of the design. And inside that box set, you get the game, which is called uh, the Green Knight: uh, Quest for Honor. And you play characters in the forms of knights, mm-hmm. nobles, hunters, 
sorcerers and bards. Oh. The game runs with 1d20. Uh-huh. I assume, because the box comes with 1d20. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it needs more than 1d20, there's a problem. Yeah, but, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you get some character sheets and a map. So The game turns out to be the quest to find the other dice. It's a meta game. Or it's a collectible role-playing game where you have to collect all the pieces of the game before you can play it. Oh, <laughs> just one more back, I'll get that D12. It's so uh, rare. I've got, the, I've got the combat rules, finally. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out, there's only, turns out there's only one part of the game that's very, very hard to find, and that's the grail. You can't yeah. actually play until you're able to drag <laughs> <Yes>. it down. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I don't know what this game is going to be like. Um, it's thirty-five dollars for a starter set, which is, I mean, looking at the starter set, it looks like it's got about the same in it as the official D and D starter set, but okay. it costs quite a bit more. Oh, okay. How much does that's it cost? About, that's, that's about twenty dollars, isn't it? The D and D one, I oh. think. Lost Minds of Fandelver or D and D Essentials? Yeah, yeah, the uh, Fandelver one. Right, right. Okay. Well, okay. So, so I don't know. I mean, the same economies of scale. See, uh, uh, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a trailer for it as well, and the trailer is kind of like, um, you know those really old sort of 70s or those 80s TSR trailers where you had a voiceover and you saw some people in with, like, flares and bowl haircuts? and Boy, that's taking me back. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a trailer a bit like that, so it's clearly aimed at, um, you know, the older school players rather than, rather than the newer ones. My suspicion is that all 17 people who actually play this will really love it. <laughs> Everyone else will buy it and put it on their shelf. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard to tell. I mean, that might be a decent game. I mean, I'm assuming that's all there is to it. I assume they're not planning an entire game line. Only until the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Oh, okay, yes. I, I begin to see what you mean. Oh, you found it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I find the way it sort of, like, magically appears on the table to yeah wow that's oh you're watching oh you're watching the trailer lot, are you yeah there, there's the, a lot yeah. of d20 rolling and someone's wearing a special hat but the special <laughs> hat doesn't come included i think that's an extra gian why um, doesn't our game require a special hat i feel like you're cheating <laughs> <laughs> back to the drawing board that's for the holiday game when everyone has the special uh, hats already and then we don't have to send anyone anything just like our game now yeah or maybe it could be a stretch goal Anyway, um, so that's Green Knight. Uh, definitely worth a watch for the trailer, if nothing else. Mm. Um, I'm half tempted to pick it up just out of curiosity, but I, I am sure I would never play it. So I don't know. Maybe it's fair. Thirty-five dollars yeah. is quite a lot for something you're never going to use. That is that is ch- that is chunky. Probably more than you'll spend on the movie ticket. Yeah, twice uh, twice a movie ticket. Okay. So how how many people here think that they could save the Kobayashi Maru? What in the famously unwinnable Star Trek simulation? Mm. Mm, might have to hack the ha- have to hack the computers first. Cheat? You would cheat, Peter. <laughs> it's good enough for Captain Kirk. It's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's the perfect exemplar of morals, morals and values. Yes, <laughs> I can't say that sentence with a straight face. Oh, <laughs> me. Sorry. So, um, you can certainly try to save the Kobayashi Maru because oh. Modifius have put out the Kobayashi Maru as a oh. scenario for the uh, Star Trek Adventures RPG. So you're saying it's a one-shot? It is a one-shot, very much <laughs> so, yeah. 
um, uh, traditionally what scenario is. Um, have you have you have you played any of the Star Trek adventures, Kevin? Do you? I, I I have not. I haven't, okay. and I would. Oh. You know, if this were actually the simulation, I would definitely fail because I don't know how to code and I also don't know how to drive. So just on on mm. every count, that would be a. a I, I think I think it's more of a test of command. So it's like you have people to drive for you. But I don't but yeah, even like understand. actually breaking simulation is the hard bit. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah. the support, Peter. I, I gotta say, <laughs> I would okay. fail that really hard. I, I believe in you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you can find out for sure. You can download for free the adventure mm. and find out for yourself whether or not you would succeed or fail. Ah, oh, it's a fantastic giveaway. Could work, but if yes, I always wondered about the Kobayashi movie because. Because it's famously a no-win scenario, oh, oh, oh. so every cadet presumably goes into that test knowing that it's a no-win scenario. You couldn't keep that a secret. Hmm. No, no. So will get drunk. It's I not mean, really, you can't keep spoilers. Yeah. It, so it's not really testing them, what it says, because yeah. it only works if you believe it's not a no-win. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What, what? Maybe it's famously no-win. Maybe like no one's ever succeeded, but the manner in which you fell is the interesting part. But they're saying it could be possible to succeed. Mm. I just kind of think that if you go into a test which puts you in what you already know is a no-win scenario, all you're going to be doing is acting throughout that test to make yourself appear as cool and confident in a no-win scenario as you can, because you know that you can't win. I think you just define Starfleet officers. I guess so, (laughs) (laughs) But your posers, you say. Well, that's a controversial view, Kevin. I mean, um, (laughs) what's your email address, though? We don't don't, don't uh, necessarily... Yeah, so Trekkies, you can email Kevin at... (laughs) Right, let's let's, let's move on from this nonsense. Let's move on to some D&D, shall we? Oh, if we must. If we must. Have you you looked at the Anath Arcana or Arcana? In a shocking turn of events, I actually have this time. I know, right? You can talk about it then. I know. (laughs) With a a semi-informed viewpoint, um, which is, quite frankly, unprecedented at this time. Then, Mr. Coffee, you have the floor. Does anyone else here play D&D? I do play D&D, but the campaign has been going on for 11 or 12 years. um, And it's in its last couple of sessions. And so adding new rules is not something we're doing. I understand. Yeah, it's okay. I... I, I quite enjoy playing a bit of D&D. I'm running some at the moment. Uh, so that's partly why it came to my attention, because there is a Poisoner feat, which is a good way to be able to get and use poisons rather than having to take the Assassin subclass. So, yeah, it's... Just it's, to, just it's to right. quickly interject there, so Leonardo Arcana is 16 new feats, just to... 16 new feats, front, yes. the, the front of the section, what we're talking about. 16 new feats from Wizards of the Coast... Yes, dropped yes. yesterday. Yeah, Ex- exciting new feats. Uh, none of them appear to be particularly broken. I'm a little disappointed in Meta Magic because it only gives you two sorcery points to play around with, and for quite a lot of spells to get anything really cool, mm. you have to have like a couple more sorcery points to play around with. But you're not a full blown sorcerer, so <coughs> um, I don't know. Did anything else catch my eye? Yeah, I think that was about it. Really, it's like they see they seem quite nice. They've got a lot of what they call half air size. We get plus one to a stat. Mm-hmm. And that lets you have the best of both worlds. It lets you have a small mechanical bump and also um, some extra customizability to your character. Yeah. I mean, you generally don't like an Arthakana, do you? you uh, as, a, as, as, a, as, a, as a rule, you tend to tend to not like it. Yeah, I, I, generally, I generally find, uh, because what they're trying to do is mechanically incentivize people to play these characters, they don't tend to be very well uh, balanced. They tend to like have like they're, they're a bit higher powered then they appear in the form that they later appear in. Mm. And that 
throws off games which aren't designed. I mean, basically, uh, with feats, I tend to be a bit more liberal. Anything that gives you advantage for free, I'd say no to, because advantage should actually be quite hard to get. But yeah, they've got stuff like they've got Artificer Initiate, which gives you like uh, access to Artificer cantrips and spells and some extra stuff like that. Fate Touched, I quite liked. Bonus Intelligence. And uh, you get the Misty Step spell and another spell, <coughs> which is quite nice, because Wizards have either Observant, which is a decent feat, gives you plus five passive perception and plus one intelligence, or Wisdom, which is, you know, all right. Or they have Linguist, which gives you extra languages, which have no mechanical effect in-game, unless you're willing to gate off a lot of content. Or Keen-Minded, which gives you perfect recall, and you always know which way is north. And I mean, those are nice, but I'd rather have plus two intelligence, you know. So having Fate Touch is good. And then they've got stuff on the other end, which is like Fighting Initiate, which gives you an extra fighting style. I'm like, I don't think that's worth an ASI. I think it's just bad. Uh, I mean, you could keep changing it around, but it's just not. I mean, fighting this style... Is, this is, and this is Peter's TED Talk. <laughs> well, it, you asked me what I thought of these things, and so I'm telling you what I think of these things. Um, prob- and there's, yeah, it's just like, you know, it's, I don't think they've gone OP. I think, on the whole, they're generally a bit underpowered. Hmm. Uh, okay. There's lots of stuff to talk about, but if no one else is like into like fifth edition Dungeons Dragons in the same way I am, which is a fair bit, then that's quite okay. We should move uh, on. There will be a link in the show notes so people can check be. them out for themselves. Oh. Um, hey, so friend of the show, Chris Spivey. Oh yes, yes. Mm, Harlem Unbound Second Edition yes. has hit the shelves from uh, Chaosium. Nice. Uh, a lovely hardcover, um, mm. but uh, what, what's caught my eye, there's also a special edition leatherette. I always like, I'm always a sucker for these special edition leatherette things. A uh, special yeah. edition leatherette covered um, version, which I am 100% mm. going to be buying. Does it have little bookmarks? I do not know. <sighs> well, yeah, I, I don't know, just little bookmarks. I mean, leatherette is a big seller, but as soon as you get little bookmarks, you're like, ooh. <laughs> um, have, you, you, have you had a chance to see Harlem Unbound, Kevin, Gion? Harlem Unbound is fantastic. And mm. I saw, I haven't seen the new edition yet, but mm. looking at the cover, I know the cover was nominated for uh, one of the best covers uh, for Ooh. this year's Ennies. Um, and it's just gorgeous. Like, I might pass on the Leatherette version just because I like the how the current hardback looks mm. so much. Yeah, I uh, not only have I seen that cover, but my good friend Jabari Weathers did it, and they mm. have been killing it. They've been getting hired by all kinds of RPG publishers and, and entities to do interior art and cover art. Their work is astounding. I highly recommend mm. it. Yeah. Yeah, I think Chris, is, Chris is one of my favorite authors. He does yeah. good, oh, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. But yeah. There's a chap who knows the Call of Cthulhu. Is this the, um, I don't know if I can find the, what's the cover actually look like with the leverette? Uh, it's kind of reddy brown with triangles on it. Oh, is this the sort of orangey one? Orangey, reddy brown, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Harlem Brown Second Edition. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, uh, oh, that is nice. Oh, I see what they've done. Yeah, it's sort of like, um, I'm sorry, Russ, I can't tell you what the style is. I sort of recognise it, but I can't remember the name of it. But okay. yeah, that, that's a very... I want to say sort of like vaguely Picasso, Picasso-esque. This is, like the... this is definitely the best bit of the podcast. <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, we'll just talk about how nice the cover is and not say what it looks like. Well, it's... It's orange and brown and has yeah. triangles in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where were we? Uh, so, yeah, what else have we got? 
this week. Uh, June RPG. Beta application. Uh, you can apply to join the beta test for the June RPG. Um, there's an there's a uh, NDA involved. I haven't uh, signed up myself, so I couldn't tell you what it looks like or what the what the beta test looks like. But if you are interested in the June RPG, you can uh, you can join that closed beta test and start playing that game right away. They're not using the Modifius. Um, yeah, yeah. 2D20 says that. Is, that is correct. Yeah. I um, wonder what they're beta testing. The June RPG. <laughs> um, right. What else have we got in the news? Oh, uh, Wizard of the Coast. Uh, they are hiring a diversity manager. Oh, good. Um, so, of course, remember the thing with Orion Black... Was it last week or the week before mm-hmm. when they when they left uh, Wizards and they wrote that, uh, that uh, open letter talking about mm-hmm. the, the general hiring policies uh, within the company? No, oh, yes, uh, specifically mentioned the tokenistic practices and the yeah. just not being able to get any not get given any work. So, Wizards of the Coast has just uh, it was just this week uh, posted an ad for a diversity manager whose job will essentially be to address the issues that um, Orion was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it requires someone with something like seven years community management experience and human resources experience, a degree, mm. you know. So, you know, so I've seen some people online sort of saying mm. it's just a token gesture, but I think if you're hiring someone with that much mm. experience and as a senior manager mm. job, mm-hmm. that's quite an investment. Yeah, yeah. That says to me they're taking it seriously. Yeah, it's not a junior position. No, um, no. So that's, that's good. Whether they can actually make effective changes to the in-company corporate culture remains to be seen, but I imagine Hasbro will be like paying attention because you know, um, it's not the sort of thing that any modern corporation wishes to have like flapping around his dirty laundry. Mm. My suspicion Kevin. is that Hasbro has come down hard on the senior management of Watsi and oh. is uh, um, telling them to fix this. And they yeah. absolutely should fix it for a whole yeah. lot of reasons. It's a giant bureaucracy, right? It's very mm-hmm. hard to initiate change in that organization. Mm-hmm. And the only way that they're going to be able to do it is by getting someone with enough authority to actually make mm-hmm. those changes stick. Mm-hmm. So yeah. getting a senior getting a senior person is totally the right choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know um, what the time scale on something like this is either. I mean, if you're talking mm-hmm. about you've just put the job ad out now, it's going to be mm-hmm. two or three months before someone's in the position, and then any oh, well, changes they want to make is going to be, what, a year or more? Well, 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 I don't know about that. I mean, you've got to... But there's a whole recruitment process that's got yeah. to get out. You've got to have to write quality of applicants, mm. um, which is going to require a lot of people to be looking at and saying, well, you know, what's it worth? Because... I assume you're going to have to relocate to Seattle. I so, guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a that's quite a gamble, and so mm. forth, uh, because obviously depends upon how well supported you are. So yeah, it's it's like it's it's going to be worthwhile, but there's a lot of risks to be factored in. So if they does it say how much they're paying, or is it no, no TPC? It no, no. no. Okay. Uh, and I've got no idea what a senior manager no. was it gets paid. Oh, no, Christ, yeah. yeah. Haven't a clue. There's probably people out there who do know, but uh, I am I am not one of those people. No, no. So um, it's there's a lot. There's, it's a it's a risky job, but if the right person can be found, then potentially it could be quite a game changer. But hmm. it 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 will probably be quite an uphill struggle because getting people to change what they're yeah. doing 
I don't particularly see a problem with it. It is is important when you're the market leader, isn't it? When you are so visible. It is. You've got to set an example. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think we have covered all of the news. It was quite quite a light news week this week. Yeah, yeah. You think it was the middle of summer? Uh. Mm. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if this counts as RPG news because it's not like uh, traditional or big publishing, but um, Zhang Shi by Banana Chan and um, a bunch of core writers just launched three days ago, two days ago, Um, and it's Uh, very well. Four days ago. Yeah, yeah. I think we got them on Um, next week. Zhang Shi, Blanket of Blood. Yes. Yeah, next week. Uh, They're they're on next week. Oh, fantastic. That yeah. is going to be such a good game. I'm really excited about it. And that yeah, Kickstarter yeah. is really killing it as yeah. well, isn't it? It's doing They're doing so well. very well. Uh, yeah, yeah, straight out the gate. Yeah, I know, yeah. That's brilliant. Um, they, they, they won funding, which is pretty nice. No, it's because um, Mendez came on the other day and said such a game existed. And then I had to have it. I haven't been able to find it anywhere. And I, now I found out why I couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> it's, not, it's not out yet. I'm really excited you're looking at it because um, next week, because the mechanics are just amazing. They're so mm. cool. And they're culturally specific, which is mm. fascinating. Yes. And also that cover art is phenomenal. I don't know if you've yeah. seen it, Morris, but it's like, it's such a great cover. It's so spooky and cool. Yeah, no, I am. I am really excited to talk to them next week. Ooh, that's going to be. Good. That's going to be fun. Right then, we have yeah. finished the news. So, shall we play our favourite game in all the world? It's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just the name. Yes, we should. We but should. You could probably give us the title and therefore the rules recap. The game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. It's harder than it sounds. <laughs> I nominate Kevin to go first. <laughs> yeah, this will be good. I love this game. Well, this game tra- 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 traditionally, I, I, I go first, but I mean... Oh, that, I meant out of the two of us. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin can go first. I'm, 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 I'm happy Kevin with that. That's, uh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's always it's always a disadvantage to go first. People people say yeah. it's a disadvantage to go first. Uh, well, James and Scrasso is a disadvantage to go first, and he's still lost. To, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what was it? I, I was apparently like a polite kaiju. I, I'm not quite sure what that means. But <laughs> <laughs> right, I just look at I just look at foodies to try and find one that we either haven't covered in depth in the last few weeks or who we haven't literally just said is coming on next week. Is that Maybe that makes it a bit too easy. <laughs> um, uh, okay then, Kev, are you ready? I am poised. Okay, Woo. this one okay. is called Bite. B-Y-T-E. B-Y-T-E, got mm. it. This is a game... Um, let's see, Bite. Okay, this is a game about electronic sharks in the internet. Um, sort of a cyberpunky thing, right? With predators in the, they don't have to be sharks, right? But predators in the, digital predators in the internet um, that are used in the in a dystopian near future to destroy your enemy's data. And you are playing a team of troubleshooters who digitize yourselves and go into the information flow in order to... Have you just described your next game? Uh, that's, that's, that's three. No, my next game is just about crappy giant shark movies. So, is, um, is your next game called Shark? Well, it, it is certainly a possibility, yes. And that's you have the correct number of A's in Shark. <laughs> 
Anyways, I'm standing by that. That's my description. All right, well, it's a, it's a good description. It sounds like yeah, a great game. I, I would totally it's not this game. game, but it sounds like oh, a great game. So close. Um, so what this one is, it's a 400-page uh, role-playing game rulebook uh, uh-huh. for any setting uh, with uh, 10 technological levels and 20 thematic modules that you can combine oh. in different ways. So you can have cowboys, spies, gladiators, mecha pilots, elven knights, galactic rulers, whatever you want by just using all these different modules and just racking them into your game. We're going to need a bigger tavern. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's by a company called Abascanto Press. It's fully funded at uh, oh, yeah. uh, uh, just over 6,000 euros of a 4,000 euro goal with a week to go. Nice. So get all that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Kev, you got that completely, completely wrong, but I am going to give you two points out of ten for coming up with a, a wonderful, wonderful idea for a game which I really think you should now write. I stand by it. And if, if you go ahead and write that game at any point in the future, then automatically, <laughs> retrospectively, your score doubles. Doubles from in two to four? <laughs> I know, right? Well. Truly. He's so generous. <laughs> Spending a year writing a game that will double my score from two to four seems like a no-brainer success. It seems worth it to me. That's right. I like it. All right. All right. Who would like to go next? Um, shall I go next or would you like to go, Gian? Please. Have you seen how it's done? I am. Like next? I also wasn't yeah. aware there's a point system until just now, so that's changed. <laughs> uh, you would love the point system. too carefully. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so Gion, you're going next, then, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Right then. Okay. Uh, this one is called Slayers. Oh, excellent! This is about the uh, ballroom scene in New York in the early '80s. It's about how much you can slay uh, if you vogue harder, then you get more dice. Ooh, nice! Do the players have to actually dance while playing? Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no! You have to. Yeah. Yet what again, with, yet again, you've you just to. come up with a, an amazing. Uh, this is this is your next. I game. signed up for this. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you saying that's not it? <laughs> no, but we are exclusively revealing both Kev's and Jock's next games. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Only on yeah, Morris's yeah. unofficial tabletop RPG talk. <laughs> so it's a binding contract now. You can't get that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so what this is is a, it's an RPG of monster hunters for hire that sounds awesome yeah you help clean out the monsters that infest the alleyways and shadows of a haunted city cursed long ago so basically Buffy it looks a little Buffy-esque to me yeah. okay yeah. Buffy adjacent yeah That's okay. I mean the, the cover art has um, what looks like revolvers and oh, strange uh-huh. uniforms Okay. In a very sort of cartoony kind of um, comic book style art. Mm-hmm. Right, so, uh, so yeah, Gion, your score. Um, well, I gave, I gave Kev two for coming up with an idea that, that he promised would be his next game. So if you do promise this will be your next game, I will give you five points. Oh. Which is one more than good. Kevin would have gotten. <laughs> <laughs> You can't. People listening to this can't see it, but I am shaking my fist in anger. 
I do uh, enjoy spite. I, you know, I'm beginning to doubt the integrity of our <laughs> access database, which Rust uses to put together all the important intangible variables that make up these this scores. This scoring system is completely infallible. Scientific. You know this. You've seen You've seen the spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm excited to hear Peter's. Put the cricket sounds in there. Right then, Peter, are you ready? I was born ready. Let's make this happen. What is uh, mythological figures and maleficent? No, no. Peter. uh, What is. Give me one moment. What I scroll through. The view that we've run out of Kickstarters. We we kind of have, yeah. Um, There we go. What is. Veil of Ruin. Oh, well, thank you for giving me a nice, exciting title. Veil of Ruin. Hmm. So I'm hoping for a certain level of mysticism. Um, I'm really feeling pressure because, like, there's two game designs. I get double points for just promising to make a game. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, well, I can't promise to make a game. No one wants to buy me. No one wants to look at my games. All right, okay, here we go. Veil of Ruin. Mm, so we've got mysticism that got that implied by veil. Uh, ruin. Mm, how do I use ruin to veil something? So that implies that the ruin itself is being ve- veiled. So I'm hoping for a sort of game where there's a sort of like a fey realm, an ethereally touch place. Uh, and it's passing from like you know where you currently are, passing through that into like sort of a a sort of weird got the upside down from Stranger Things sort of vibe going on, and you're going into this like weird numinesque place, like searching for like uh, treasures and so forth, and then hopefully getting back out again. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Be- what, what? Before you tell us, Russ, may I hmm. offer one alternative? Sure. I think Veil of Ruin refers to a bridal veil, and it is a competition to see who can marry the most horrific monster and not die in the process. You are correct. That is exactly what it is. What, Kevin? No, it's not. I'm lying. I'm completely lying. That would be weird if it was. Um, what it actually is, is a post-apocalyptic setting <laughs> for D&D 5th edition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it's a source book, a whole bunch of miniatures as well. It's one of those, um, one of those ones with lots of add-ons and stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, it's got six days to go. It's doing very, very well. Uh, 45,000 out of a, uh, 26 grand target. And uh-huh. yeah, just what you'd expect. Um, post, post apocalyptic fantasy, new races, <laughs> classes, feats, magic items, spells. Uh-huh. Uh, all the stuff that you would expect in a campaign setting. Okay. Well, right. So, uh, what did you say? I can't even remember what you said now. What was your guess? It was exactly that. Was it that? that? <laughs> <laughs> Should I believe him? No. <laughs> oh, curses. My charisma, percep- my charisma deception almost <laughs> beats versus wisdom in size. Well, Peter, do you, do you promise to make the game that you described? And that would recall me. That would rely on me being able to recall what I said five minutes ago. Tell you what. Tell, tell you what. I'll give you a million points if you promise to do it. Um, how good of a game? <laughs> What's a, I was going to guarantee gets a million. <laughs> 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 nah, that's why right. for a million points, I, 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 I will make a game. There you go. All right then. So a million points to Peter, which means Peter wins. Woo-hoo. 
Somehow, <laughs> somehow Peter's won. <laughs> See, that was fair, wasn't it? That was fair, logical, even-handed. I really enjoyed this whole podcast. Thanks again for having us on. And I gotta go. <laughs> Each point is translatable to a dollar, but inversely, right? So Kevin gets the most, I get the middle, Peter gets $2. Oh. I, I get nothing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I get nothing. Wait a minute, does I that get mean... one million for a dollar. Wait, wait a minute, does that mean I owe Kevin a million dollars? Apparently. Oh. That oh. didn't go the way I hoped. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, or You're it, in charge it, of the scoring system, buddy. You know? or, or if it's invoice, you owe quarter, uh, two dimes, and nothing. <laughs> yeah. But I, I blame John Shorty Math for that. <laughs> right. Right. I think that is it for our favourite game in all the world. <sighs> Phew. Those steps are a bit steep. But here we are, on the 16th level. 16th? I'm only 8th level. No, no, I'm in dungeon level. Oh, right. I had to use my highest level spell to get past that gelatinous stair monster. I know. What level do you think it was? It was down on the 13th level, I think. No, no, I meant monster level. I don't know. I'll level you. I'm pretty much out of magic now. Well, there's no more steps, so at least we're on a level surface. Yeah, I, I really feel we should have gone up a level after that effort. We did! We're way higher up than we were before. Just look through the window. No, I meant character level. Oh, right, right. Uh, anyway, what a view. But where's the forest? Oh, yeah, that's weird. Where did it go? It's been completely leveled. Oh, be silly. Forests don't have levels. No, I mean, has in flattened. Oh, my. Yes, it has. Leveled flat. Yeah. Oh, look. It's our old friend Bartholomew the Treacherous. How are you, old chap? Um, why is he levelling his crossbow at us? I don't know. But, but, everything okay? He looks upset. You don't think he's still angry about that criticism we levelled at him? Might be. Look, he's doing his level best not to pull that trigger. But, calm down. Focus on your breathing. Try to take slow, level breaths. Oh, that seems to have done the trick. Glad to have a level head in the party. No, do we use that word too much? What word? Level. I mean, we've used it over a dozen times in the last 30 seconds. Have we? How peculiar. Interesting word, level. Lots of meanings. Did you know it comes from the Latin, libella, which means balance? I did not know that. How fascinating. Look, could we rest for a bit? Sugar level's a bit low. You know it. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We just wanted to mention our Patreon. Peter, are you familiar with our Patreon? Oh, is it uh, patreon.com slash Morris? Yes. M-O-R-R-U-S. At patreon.com forward slash Morris, you can find our Patreon, which is what pays for our podcast and buys yes. us all these wonderful microphones and yes. mixers and other little bits and pieces. And wires, so many wires. And all these wires. Uh, we have a load of wonderful Patreon backers at the moment. And yes. those backers get... We cherish you all. Yes, we do cherish them very much. And those yes. backers get bonus content every single week, just as a thank you for, uh, for backing our Patreon. And because they're so awesome and so quick off the mark, they also get to like talk to us in our Discord channel, which is pretty good. 
Mm. And we'll sometimes even deign to answer that. Uh, but even more importantly, when we have guests coming onto the show, they have the opportunity to ask questions of those guests. Mm. Um, and then we will pass on the questions that we think we, our guests will answer. So please, if you do enjoy the podcast, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Morris. Link will be in the show notes. Yes. And support us, even with just a dollar a month. Every little, every little bit helps. Shall we get on and talk about your Kickstarter? That's a wonderful plan. As we did that. <laughs> Um, so your Kickstarter, you're doing really well. Look, you have uh, 10,000 £10, pounds. I don't know what it shows. Was it in dollars? 11, nearly $12,000. Uh, Russ, there's an important thing that we have missed. What's that? Which is the name of the Kickstarter. I'm about to, I was getting there. Uh, so okay. this is called Wait For Me. And I've got to admit, I'm, I'm mildly mildly confused but in a good way and I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to you describing how this works because it seems to me it's more more an event than a you, you you send emails on a daily basis and people use those emails in order to play through an experience is that uh, yeah. right sure well, so here's the idea behind it um, and John you should stop and correct me when I say stupid things <laughs> Um, We're going to have to stop you there, Kevin. That's a lot of responsibility to put on someone. You're getting a really uh, behind-the-scenes look into the design process right now. Exactly. All right, you know what? I take that back. Gian is going to describe this to you. Out. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. Okay. Uh, Wait for me is a journaling game. It can be played by a single player or by two players, and the premise mm-hmm. is that you'll are, well, just you, but you've been uh, ripped out of your own time stream and you're uncontrollably landing at different pivotal moments in your own personal history. Each time you land, your old diary is open in front of you and you have a limited, unknown amount of time to tell yourself the thing that you most needed to hear, but you didn't know you needed it in the moment. There is a very cool constraint that's based on a writing exercise that Kevin's been doing for, what, 20 years? Uh, a little less than that, but a little more than 10. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's instead of, you know, 100 words or less or 100 mm. words or more, it's exactly 100 words, exactly 60 words, exactly 40. Each day, you don't know how many words you you have to write, but it's an exact word count to sort of simulate the feeling of urgency and not knowing when you're going to be pulled back out of your time stream. It's a, right. definitely a weird, unconventional game, which tends to be the mainstay of what I write. Mm. Um <laughs> I am trying to diversify and branch out, uh, but right now this is my comfort zone, is the yeah. unmarketable stuff. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think that sounds really interesting. Say, yeah. Yeah. You've you made yeah. 10 grand so far. So. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I have to eat those words, actually. A yeah. lot of people disagree about unmarketable. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything you'd like to add, Kevin? Yeah, so this is I, this, I, I find this game idea really interesting um mm. in the sense that i've for a long time right and you know right we we talked about swords of the serpentine ages ago russ we've talked about time watch i tend to write these big kind of traditional role-playing games mm. that are about um that are that are more cinematic and not particularly personal right they're not designed to make you feel stuff um mm. and one of the things that gian is astonishing about and which i am learning a ton about is how to make games that make that invoke emotions um, mm-hmm. and that are more introspective. 
Right. So we're combining sort of my traditional love of and knowledge about time travel Ooh. with that idea. What we wanted to do was get a game that we, people could play in a set amount of time that you can play with just one or two people. And that would in both foster feelings of connection in the two player version, but also like help you come to terms with, especially right now in the middle of the pandemic, when everybody is incredibly stressed out, help you come to terms with some of the choices that you've made in the past and to think through what might be different if you'd made different choices. And so the game does a few things. I think it makes you a better writer, frankly. Um, it doesn't come, it's all digital. It's, we're going to send out a PDF to the people who want the PDF, but we don't have to manufacture things and we don't have to ship anything because uh-huh. what the player is doing is creating their own artifact to play when, they, when they're when they doing this. You get a journal that you like or uh-huh. a notebook that you like or whatever, but uh-huh. you are taking this and you're making it your own by adding old photographs or old receipts or marginalia and sketching in the, the sketching doodles as part of the prompts. So you're creating this thing over the course of three weeks that is completely and uniquely yours. And I love that about this. Mm. I think that it, it means that at the end of the process, if you're writing to the prompts, and it doesn't, they're like Xi'an said, they're you know, up to 100 words, but more than that. You're mm. creating something that is very personal to you and that feels personal. And this is working on your own personal life? So there's a couple ways to play. I think that sort of the most effective way is when you are, because what the game does is it gives you prompts and things like, okay, you find your, you know, you, you slide out of the time stream and you're in your own childhood bedroom. So take a moment that, you know, you can hear the floor creaking in the way that you know so well. Think about what it smells like and what it looks like to be standing there in this place where you were when you were nine years old. Mm. And your and you know your journal your diary is with, with a you know cheap and crappy lock is open on the table in front of you. What's the information you need to tell yourself right now? And by moving you around that idea of non nonlinear play, right? You sort of jump forwards mm. and backwards. But one of the things that I think we're doing is to say both what would it be like to answer this for yourself right now, and what would it be like if the suggestions you've already given yourself. Like, have those changed how you've lived your life? Think that process through. Um, but you don't have to play it as yourself. You can play it as um, a as a sort of, if you're writing a novel, you could run through these same questions for one of the characters Ooh. in your novel to get a better feel of what makes them them. Yeah, and you we could were, do it we, for any character that you wanted, really, couldn't you? That's, that's, that's a very broadly applicable tool, like to really help you develop a backstory. Um, we were even that joking that... You can be a, do a version of this for a D&D character um, mm. in order to figure out what your D&D... I mean, these prompts wouldn't make sense, right? But to figure mm. out what your background was and what makes you you, if that's the kind of thing. Mm. The two-player expands that even more, I think. So how, how does it work with two players? The idea is that there's still someone playing what we're calling the traveler, the person who's been um, ripped out of their own timeline and yeah. is, is jumping back and forth. But then there's also the diarist, which is the past self. Now, of course, that means that logically, if you're playing with two people and you're choosing to play one person's personal timeline, then the diarist is probably not going to be that actual person. Um, And what it turns into is a really lovely alibi for a connective experience between friends. One of the game rules actually states that you shouldn't play this game with a total stranger. You should play it with someone who at the very least you trust to hold space for you and to 
Mm. Um, be able to write compassionate, kind responses. Mm-hmm. And also where you can accept that they're not going to perfectly mimic the voice of your past. Um, and what happens is when Kevin and I play tested this, for example, we <laughs> play tested a prompt that includes writing to a late relative, which mm-hmm. I don't know Kevin's grandma and he doesn't know mine. And I was a little nervous that that might feel jarring, but it was actually mm-hmm. really wonderful to receive essentially a letter from a friend saying really nice things. Some people just have a hard time hearing nice things about themselves. And what I like is that this game allows the possibility of being able to communicate things with friends that can feel really difficult Mm. or vulnerable to just do it, you know, up front and and kind of bare. But um, the game provides a bit of a proxy, right? Just enough of a remove Mm. where you can say the things that you want to say without... I don't know, getting stuck and self-conscious. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it feels almost psychotherapeutic, really, in its approach. Is that something that you intended, or is it just a natural result? I mean, I'm not a therapist. Uh, I, I would hesitate to, to say the game is therapeutic because, you know, I'm not licensed, and, and that wasn't necessarily no, no. my intention. It's like the approach yeah. uh, of holding space and so forth. And, sure, it, uh, it definitely... Emotionally supportive. Yeah, it definitely taps into like mindfulness mm. practice, which I think mm. has been getting mm. a lot more attention in the last few years. Um, even mm. the act of setting the the wonderful thing about journaling games, which is a weird little niche within an already niche industry, like is mm. that it forces the player to set aside time to just spend time on themselves and an experience that they're buying into, which is really mm. hard to do mm. if you're yeah. an adult yeah. with a job and adult responsibilities. <laughs> So uh, I would hesitate like, also to to call it therapeutic, but like I do think it's very introspective. Um, one of the things mm. as a big time travel nerd that I love is that as you're answering these, you're doing kind of two different things. You're thinking back, okay, what was I like at this time of my life, or what will I be like in the future at this time of my life? That's part of it, and this, and then to think about like what what did I really need to hear at that point that mm. would make changes for the better in my life. Mm. But also the, sort of thinking through the whole nerdy aspect of based on what I've already told myself at this time in my life, like the, mm. has anything changed at this point? And mm. thinking through those kind of personal ripples through it's easy mm. to get, to get lost in that. But I think the exercise is, is sort of fascinating on an intellectual level as well as a personal level. And it's certainly, mm. I mean, based on just our playthrough, like it's just really fun to write. At least I found it. I also want to add, because I saw Peter's face when Kevin was talking about how the game asks you to make better choices or think about your choices, Mm. (laughs) um, is that Mm. you don't have to play it really close to the chest. You can Mm. absolutely play it a little bit removed, or you can create Mm. like a fictional conventional character that isn't a D&D character you've been playing. It isn't a fictional character in a novel. Yeah, yeah. You, You don't have to be completely authentic with who you're being. No, sorry. That's my first impulse to go with such things. And it seems like a very revealing gay bash. You know, you should be more create, create fiction rather than reveal personal truth. If sorry. that's more comfortable, the game is designed to be incredibly adaptive. So even though there are rules around, you know, play it by writing on paper, have something tangible. If you have to use, for example, text to speech technology, it can be played digitally and it'll be fine. Every email, the prompt will be uh, an image, but also there will be native text in the body of the email as well that can be read out with tech. The, the idea is that it 
it's a game that anybody could play if they wanted to. And in the same way, if it's uncomfortable or too much of a stretch to play it really, really emotionally close, then you don't have uh-huh. to. It is definitely right. a stronger game if it's played personally. That is something oh, that good, I think yeah. is, is baked into the design. So what I wanted to yeah. ask was, is there, could you perhaps play with the genre of the game a little to maybe make it a little more, I don't know, comedic, for example, or maybe slip into a sort of more of a horror motif or something like that by putting a kind of fictional overlay on it? Is that a thing you could do? I'm sure. What do you think, Kevin? So I think that that's absolutely a thing you could do. We, um, when we were looking, looking at what kind of game to create, one of the things that we looked at was, what's the name? Um, uh, Banana Chans and Doug Lewandowski's game, The Wishing Sigil, right? by, by the people who are at least one of the people who's going to be on the podcast next week. Mm. Um, and The Wishing Sigil was done by Banana Chan uh, mm-hmm. of and Doug Lewandowski of Tiffle Bites. And it was a advent calendar journaling game where basically for however many days is an advent, you got a prompt every day and you're playing a small child working in a Victorian factory and it's a horror game. And uh, I thought that was pretty neat. I think that you could probably play Wait For Me with a definitive tone in mind. Like it's not designed for that necessarily, but it certainly wouldn't be hard to hack or to adapt in that that regard. Uh, possibly a stretch goal with advice for how to do that at all. No stretch goals. No stretch goals. It's really, no really. Goals. We uh, actually, so- in some ways, designed the game around the campaign. So, mm. for example, mm. I have this is my first Kickstarter, and oh. I had been encouraged to do a Kickstarter by lots of friends. And the thing that's always stopped me in the past mm-hmm. are the, it's funny you were making fun of my math before. It's absolutely true. Oh, sorry. I No, no, don't <laughs> apologize. It's accurate. I'm terrible at math. And which is why distribution and manufacturing costs and trying to factor mm. them into a Kickstarter and the gamble that's involved have always mm. felt really intimidating to me. And so when yeah. Kevin and I were talking about writing a game together, one of the first things I said was, could we do something where we don't have to print a bunch of books yeah. at the end? Yeah. Um, and that's been wonderful. I love not having to do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And from my perspective, right, Time Watch did really well in Kickstarter, but it was also mm. really late. Um, and all of the, and I wouldn't have wanted to tackle the manufacturing process and the distribution process without Pelgrane. Um, yeah. And so for me, part of this was, and one of the things that made it quite late was the large number of stretch goals. Today. Mm. Uh, uh, which made the game better, but it also made the game really yeah. late. Uh, uh, and that's on me. But yeah. the point uh. is, is that for me, the idea of, hey, let's do a Kickstarter in July. And by the end of August, we'll have fulfilled the entire Kickstarter. Yeah, that's exactly my philosophy with Kickstarters. Like I don't, I don't launch it until the book's physically in my hand. I know it's ready to yeah. go, and to, you know, two months after the Kickstarter's ended, it's you know, I'm, I'm on to the next thing. It's done. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. All, yeah. all, all fulfilled, and of course yeah. with the PDFs as well. Yeah. As soon as you, as soon as you, as soon as you hit that number, then it's like, yeah, PDFs out to PDFs out to the backers. Yeah, yeah that yeah. feeling of having stretch goals stretching ahead for two years, impending stretch uh, goals. That while you were while you were running the Kickstarter, it was so tempting to add them on and add them on and add them on and watch that number get bigger and bigger and bigger and what looks like that. And, and people encourage you to as well, don't they? And they suggest like, yeah, you to. And you, a bit more, a bit more. Uh, but oh, I don't know. I, I always I resist that, and I just say no. I'm going to do this. This is what I'm doing. Then I'm going to fulfill it, and then I'm done. I'm moving on to the next thing. 
at my old job, we had a, a thing we'd tell the staff, which was keep it light and keep it tight. And that's mm. how I approached this campaign. And I'm really glad we did that. Yeah. Um, and having no stretch goals as a, as a goal that we committed to was, was part yeah. of that for sure. And a digital only campaign. It's so easy to, to fulfill as well, especially if oh. um, you've pretty much done it already. Haven't you? You've, uh... All of the, all of the prompts are already written. Yeah. I'm going to do one more editing pass on them. You know, the only thing that we'll have to do is to find out because we have enough backers that we can't use the email account to send out the emails yeah. is we'll have to find an email sending service that we like and, you know, use them for a month. You could like, just send them out via Kickstarter, couldn't you? As updates on the Kickstarter page and everyone gets emailed mm. them. Oh, um, depends on the file size, I suspect. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. That, oh. The file size isn't huge. It, I mean, this is very boring technical aspects of it, but essentially it's just more unwieldy and it's mm, a better... Yeah. It's better to spend the like thirty bucks for a month um, yeah, to yeah. get Mailchimp to do it for sure, you. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. yeah. For us, one of the things that was really fun writing this game was just a joy, right? Because it meant oh. the what the players are going to be doing. Actually, we had to do as well as we thought through what might key points in someone's life be that is going to resonate with the vast majority of the people playing the game and what are sort of the interesting things both good and bad that might have come from that and sort of then write a little piece not a long piece but dropping you there trying to anchor you in that spot so that you can answer the journaling prompt so it's this combination of both a little bit you know some storytelling and some actual craft in doing the writing itself as well and but what we're doing is facilitating somebody else. Uh, um, and I think that's really neat. Hmm. So what's the sort of work distribution between the two of you? Because I'm getting the kind of sense that um, it's uh, sort of Gion's brainchild mainly. Is, that, uh, is, that, think, is that right to say? I think Gion has more experience with the journaling aspects and the writing journal games, which is working with Kevin's like knowledge of time yeah. travel to... like bring together this creative partnership. That's the impression I have. I don't know. What we did, we each wrote half of the prompts. Yeah. And Ooh. then we went in and edited the other half of the prompts um, to, mm. to tweak them in order mm. to end up with a total that we that we both really like. Mm. The art for the Kickstarter and sort of the, the art that we're using in the images mm. is all Gian's creation herself. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll be doing all the layout and the PDF creation, the email images. Mm. Kevin was really essential in calibrating the tone as well. I didn't realize, mm. but uh, what was it like of the 11 or 12 prompts I wrote, like 10 of them were very sad. Nice. <laughs> 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 going through the first pass, he was like, you know, I just feel like me. He <laughs> was very kind about it, but there is a lot of like intangible uh, labor that it's it's impossible to put down like on a spreadsheet. Yeah. But mm. I'm so glad that you stepped in to say that. Um, it's it's maybe, been really maybe we should write a game that doesn't bum everyone out when they play it. Exactly, which uh, <laughs> you know can be a challenge sometimes when that's your oh. bread and butter. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our workflow. Oh, sorry. Our workflow is really interesting in the sense that we'll have a quick Zoom call in order to touch base. We'll jump on to a shared Google Doc. And so we'll be writing simultaneously and commenting on people's stuff. And then we just have a quick Zoom call at the end of that process to debrief. Mm. The efficient way to design when you're 3,000 miles apart. Yeah. yeah. The, the shared Google Doc is great. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's something that I picked up from when I was collaborating with uh, Jason Morningstar back in March when we were yeah. doing, we made a, a little, uh, like a tight little suite of six games that are all designed around the mechanic of picking up trash because we really wanted to make a game. I I have a background in outdoor education and naturalism, and Mm. we wanted Mm -hmm. to make a game where it would force people to get outside or incentivize, I should say, people to get outside and actually do some stewardship. And then the pandemic hit and no one wants to touch trash (laughs) or each other. So it's not really... uh, uh, I still love these games. Um, I'll probably talk about them more later, but uh, Mm. for now they're on the shelf. I, I will point out, by the way, that one of the neat tiers, one of the tiers I really love about this is that you can get the, and the, the buy-in on the game is quite inexpensive. I think it's $5 for just the emails or $10 for the emails, plus a PDF at the end so that you can just play it whenever you want to. Um, and one of the things that we do have a tier where, in addition to our game, you get um, a suite of six games that Gion created previously. All right. Oh. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and that has turned out to be spectacularly popular, which just makes me happy. Yeah, no, I've got that up in front of me right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been really no, nice. Sort of like- I, I've mostly written solo or two-player games, and so I think yeah. that's the yeah. that's one of the ways in which this game really falls into my comfort zone, but every, like everything else about how it's gone to market, the Kickstarter, um, pushing it to broader audiences, that's all Kevin. Uh, he definitely mm-hmm. has been really encouraging, because I tend to write a game, put it up, not like, not really talk about it and then just move on to the next thing, which is me. Mm. I, get, I get the feeling you're a bit shy about it. You know, like you don't really value your creation. Is that, is that fair? Wow. That, you know, it's like you're playing the game right now. Way to just like yeah. go right for the personal question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't apologize. That was just very funny. Um, a little bit, you know, because I came oh, into wow. game design as an, as an uh, offshoot of my day job. I worked a really weird day job, um, which was through this company that teaches outdoor education and really emphasizes trying to connect kids with the land. But Uh Uh there are different departments for it. And the department I got hired on, because I'm a giant nerd, was the LARPing department. There's like literally a whole branch of this company. Oh, bossless. Yeah, that teaches kids like how to carve, how to make a fire, how to... Uh, shoot a bow and arrow, how to identify plants you can eat through LARPing, through this kind of high fantasy setting where they're all playing right. druids or warriors or whatever. Oh, almost sort of, yeah, like we, I suppose we do that as more of a reenactment thing. Like, um, I had a picture of you in my head, like whacking someone with a giant ru- with a rubber mallet, so that might, might not be the case, but you also mean- teach them some useful practical woodsmanship skills as well. Exactly. Uh, I, I definitely have wailed on children with foam weapons, and it rules for anyone listening. It's very satisfying, and they love it too. But uh, yeah, it, what I love is the, the goal, the mission um, of this job, and now something that I hold as like a core value is teaching people to, to remember that they're part of a larger ecosystem and that mm-hmm. the, the human community is just one community. There's a whole non-human community to tap into as well. Anyway, mm-hmm. I could talk about this for a long time. This job hired, uh, not hired me, but um, as part of its work for a little while, flirted with the idea of maybe we could do this for adults because we primarily work with children. That's how I got sent to Metatopia um, in 2017, and that's how I got into game design. So it's only very recently that I've thought of game design as something that I do for myself. Mm-hmm. It's only in the last year and a half or two years that I've written games that 
um, weren't in the service of somebody else. And so Mm -hmm. it's still, it's like me taking ownership of my work is almost like playing catch up to the work itself, if that makes sense. And maybe that's coming across Mm -hmm. a little bit. And they'll compare and contrast that to the fact that I was working on Time Watch for like three years. I think Swords of the Serpentine was two or three years. Like if I don't promote my games, oh my God, well, there's half, you know, half a decade gone. Um, the, uh, and so one of the things, this partnership has been so good for me because not only am I learning how to make games that tap into the work to make the player feel stuff, but also really short games. So all of my current projects right now, whether it's Shark or Loot the Kingdom, which is a game about uh, fantasy heists, um, or you know, there's one or two other things sort of on the mm-hmm. docket, are all really short games, mm-hmm. uh, really short to create, yeah, yeah. Um, and that I should be able to to finish creating and get out the door relatively quickly. And mm. every bit of credit for that goes to Gian. Like this has been mm. such a good experience. It sounds like it's been a real creative renaissance for you then. To like, you know, really get out of your comfort zone and learn some new stuff. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of the issue, Peter, is that my main job deals mm-hmm. with uh, lots of travel and big meetings. So, mm-hmm. want to guess what I'm not doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so, anyways, this couldn't come at a better time as far yeah. as that goes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, if okay. if you were to do another big, because you've done, like you said, time watch and swords, um, <laughs> if you were to do another big hardcover. RPG in that sort of you know that size. Would you do you think you would take some lessons learned from working with Gion into that, and that would modify your approach to a, a, a sort of more traditional RPG? Well, I'm, I actually I'm working on a game called Bite, which is where you're playing. Um, there's there's cybernetic predators in the internet, and you're going. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> Well played, Sam. Well played. <laughs> Callback. Uh, and the answer is ab- absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, what I'm learning right now does a couple things. One is it's going to help me iterate faster and sort of make smaller and more focused things. Mm. And uh, as well as sort of what John does so well, um, I can, you know, start to wrap into my kind of larger scale things as well. For what I would argue is a better, a better, more focused play experience. Hmm. It's right. so funny because I've always thought of it as somewhat of a detriment that my inability to spend more than two weeks working on a game before I just get really sick of it, right? But um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm learning from Kevin how to really stick with something and not hmm. just like push it out the door because it's basically done and I don't after that I don't have to look at it technically um, which is good because there is there is one idea I've been tossing around that really the only way to do it any justice is to to write like a more traditional well I say more traditional like a the system I'm looking at right now is Belonging Outside Belonging by Avery Alder she wrote The Quiet Year and Monster Hearts um, and it's the system that drives her game Dream Askew and but it is a traditional game in the sense that it's a book there's a playbook. It's oh. three to six players. There are dice, which I've never written before. And oh. so there's a lot of little offhand uh, lessons to be learned that I've been picking up from Kevin just in doing the work on this project that's been mm. really rewarding as well. Oh. So how, how did this collaboration come about initially then? Who approached who? How did... Because yeah. you're on different sides of the Americas. Right. So, yeah. We met at SandCon, which is a sort of summer uh, house con uh, that mutual friends throw, uh, not this year. 
Um, <laughs> um, Dion, do you remember who was it? I think it was your idea to create a game together. It might, yeah, it might have been. So unfortunately, I got laid off uh, from just like big, you know, travel and big meetings aren't really happening. Oh. Um, mm. Outdoor education is happening, but in in a weird, weird way. Um, oh. And so. I sort of saw that the layoff was coming and I, I thrive on work. I really love working. And this was partially self-preservation. I approached Kevin being like, do you want to work on a game? Like very casually to a friend internally. It was like, if I don't have something to work on, I will actually just like a shark. Actually, if I stop moving, I'll die. Right. So I have to have something. Yeah. Um, and it, it was sort of just a whim, but it turned into, into something really, really awesome. So just a couple of things real fast. You can actually get to wait for me by typing kickstarter.games yeah, into your bar. How? How? Magic. How uh, is that? Some, somebody, and I, and I won't use their name because I'm not sure they want it public, right? but somebody owns that. And as a kindness for projects they like, assigns Kickstarter URLs to it and gives people the permission to use that for the length of the project. Wow. Yeah, so, probably best uh, not hand out the name of that person because yes, not, <laughs> but, yeah, but, we're, but we're deeply grateful, and it's a really neat sort of fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's whenever that person got that URL, which must have been years ago, I guess, because it would have been snapped up otherwise. That's a yeah, that's a good one to have. We are kickstarting um, up. We finish up oh. on Thursday, July twenty third, twenty twenty. Um, the we expected this to be like this sort of super small practice project, and I'm delighted by how it's doing. Yeah, it's doing so so well. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. I'll be I'll, I'll be backing this for sure. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. It's and we are incredibly grateful for the two of you bringing this on. Like, I am well aware this is not kind of a traditional role playing game, although um, although it falls into that category, it's just one that you don't run into too often. Hmm. Um, and but so I think that makes it really interesting, and a lot of the core concepts are ones that I had never previously considered. But just sort of during the course of the conversation, you convinced me. I'm like, oh, okay, yes, I should make journaling part of character creation. Ah, more things to Yeah, like I that. do. Oh, I do that's... very much. <laughs> that reminds me of. Uh, is it dread? Yeah, do, with do, the leading that, questions. With the leading questions. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, and I should call out um, Tim Hutchings created a book this last year called Thousand Year Old Vampire. Mm-hmm. And in fact, is up for a whole mess of Ennies. Um, and it, the reason it's up for a whole mess of Ennies is because it's really good. You are, it's a, it's a solo journaling game, but you are playing the thousand year old vampire. And as mm-hmm. you play, you're overwriting old memories with new memories. Um, and, but you remember that you don't have those old memories anymore. And so you're sort of recording what that feels like. It's also right. the most beautiful book in my whole library. It's gorgeous. Mm. So that was uh, an inspiration for us. It's one of those games where having the tangible book actually is a huge part of mm. the experience. It's mm. so beautifully mm. designed. Um, and Tim mm. actually told me, so he designed it to have purposefully weathered looking parts of the spine and the cover. And I think like two people wrote him to be like, just so you know, my book arrived a little bit damaged and like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how Same. good it is. So, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful game. Um, and I think predating his game art, like a lot of journaling games is there's a game called the beast, which I couldn't find the author. I think maybe they wanted to be anonymous, um, but it's a 20 day journaling game. And 
beyond that, I almost don't want to say what it's about because it's really weird and, and very, very cool. Um, mm. And that's on drive through. Yeah. 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 I think that's yeah. on drive through. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, before we wind up completely, um, how long would you actually expect a game of Wait For Me to take? Like, uh, would you play it in like an hour, four hours? Uh, so uh, probably probably 15 minutes per prompt, I would guess. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's about right, Gian. And it, it'll, it'll vary from person to person or prompt to prompt. There are some people who might spend more time on it depending on how intricate they want to build their journal. So, but if you're just doing the prompt, if that's how you're measuring the time, mm-hmm. then yeah, 15, 20 minutes is probably. Yep. Okay. Uh, and there's going to be 21 prompts plus a 20 second um, prompt as an epilogue. Oh. Yeah. But it's okay. kind of built that you sort of do one a day rather than all in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. With, yeah. So just We're, over five hours of like right. definite playtime, but you can obviously expand that depending on how much it catches your interest and imagination. Yeah, and obviously I imagine there's a lot of replayability, especially if you go with the PDF. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. for five dollars, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> or ten or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quite frankly, you can if there are prompts you don't like or whatever, you can skip them, um, and like that doesn't break anything. Certainly. So mm. people can really customize this to be what they need it to be or want it to be when they're playing. Oh, that, that's what I meant to ask earlier. I totally forgot. Um, yeah. So I was, I was just thinking, because you gave an example, a couple of examples of prompts, and one was um, you in your childhood bedroom, and the other one was uh, a, a message to yeah. someone someone who had passed and stuff. So um, like that latter one, the, the last one of those two, is definitely very, very personal. I mean, how... Yeah. How personal kind of does it get, and do you worry a little that maybe you could, I don't know, upset people? Well, it's bringing or, it up for people. Yeah, bring, bring, like bring things, things up. Yeah, it's like things that you sort of like come to terms with, and then, but maybe like it starts. Yeah, bringing things up, staring, staring the bottom of the pond, as it were. Oh, I've never heard that before. I like that. Um, mm. So absolutely, that is mm. a possibility. In the game text, we, we don't go straight into the prompts and straight into the rules. We start by talking about um, safety considerations. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the feedback that I got early on from people who I showed drafts of the game, they were like, hard mechanics might not make as much sense in this game since you're not there in person with the players. But things like just scaffolding a lot of, of comfort and trust and rapport as a safety mechanic is mm. probably the way to go. So that's one of the reasons mm. why I say this is not a game to play with a total stranger. And in mm. fact, it's not a game to play with someone who you don't have a, a decent solid foundation of trust with, even if they're mm. not, you know, a bosom friend of many decades, mm. like it has to be someone who you really know them well enough to know that if something came up for you and you wanted to talk about it, they would at least be able to hear you out in the moment. Mm. The other thing is, again, you don't have to play it very close to the chest, but if something comes up, you can skip it. You can say, Mm. you know what, let's not play this particular prompt or like, can we do it over? Whatever suits your needs. And that's kind of, again, where that, where that scaffolding of talk to each other, (laughs) please. Um, Mm. Before you start the game throughout the game is, is a big part Um. of that. And consider what you're going to reveal. Yeah, consider what, you know, like, check in with yourself, too. Like, the X card, all of these safety mechanics that have come up in games recently, they're for yourself, too. I include them in my solo games, because sometimes people just leap headlong into the play of the game, which is wonderful, 
And then it's only as they're mid-stride that they realize, like, (laughs) oh, this is actually really emotionally affecting. Um, And some people enjoy that. Some people don't. So that's Mm -hmm. something that that I really want players to check in with themselves about first before they, they launch into the prompt for the day. Check, check the depth of the water. Make sure you're not. It's not like one of those swimming pools. You're going. Oh yes, this isn't so deep. Oh, oh, okay. There's there, there's a big drop off there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I found the diving pool section. Yeah. Help. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that is wait for me. Again Ooh. about time travel and connection. It's on Kickstarter now. It's on Kickstarter for another six days. So when this Ooh. goes out tomorrow, you will have five days to jump in on this one. Right. And it's well-funded, completely funded already, uh, yes. and is doing amazingly. Uh, so, thank um, you. And if someone misses the window for the Kickstarter, because with such a short window, it's entirely possible, will it be available anywhere else? We'll have the PDF available on Gion's uh, itch.io account, and I think in, uh. her, in her Patreon as well. Mm-hmm. And when I get off my butt and uh, create an itch.io account, then I'll have it there as well. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so thank you both for coming on. It has been fantastic talking to you. And I am super, super excited about this Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And I'm super excited just because it's a completely new type of game that I'm like journaling games and things like that. I am not at all familiar with them. So this is going to be my first look at that type of game. So I'm super excited to, and um, I'm gonna. I like Kevin. I suspect so it's going to possibly affect some of my future game design. Also, that's really nice. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you so much for having us on the show. This was wonderful. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, until next week, it's goodbye for me, Russ. That's goodbye for me, Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Rollers. It's goodbye for me, Kevin Culp. You can find me on Twitter at, at Kevin Culp. And it's goodbye for me, Gian Shim. And I'm also on Twitter at Gian Shim. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. I'm having fun with it, Russ. It's fine. <laughs> as long as we find it amusing, isn't that the most important part? Mostly, <laughs> I just opened a thesaurus and looked for every possible use of the word level, and then just tried to squeeze it in. There. Really, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just realised I missed out spirit level. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs>